You're listening to Video Monsters, a weekly podcast. Uh, well, uh, mostly weekly. Sometimes more, sometimes less. <sighs> All right, fine. A mostly weekly podcast of Creatures Talking Features with your hosts, Nathan Simmons and Eric Harris. Video Monsters is brought to you by the Chattanooga Film Festival and Central Cinema in Knoxville, Tennessee. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at chatfilmfest.org and centralcinema865.com. And links for each of these can also be found on our pages, so be sure to follow us at Video Monster Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Hello and welcome to episode 341 of Video Monsters, where we take movies seriously, just not ourselves. I'm Nathan. I'm Eric. I'm Dan. And tonight... Hey, a Dan! We have a Dan. We we do have a (laughs) Dan. We have a Dan talking about a movie with lots of Dans. We we do. (laughs) We also have a couple of dicks and a fart. I'm also a Daniel, so I can be the third Daniels for this. No, you're the the fourth, Hmm. because you got... Daniel Kwan, Daniel Shiner, Daniel, Daniel, Radcliffe. Daniel Radcliffe. You got yeah. Paul Dano. <laughs> Might be Daniel, Which is, was a, a nickname of mine in the early 80s from adults who had seen Hawaii 5 Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, you're absolutely lumped in there. Yep. So we have our resident Daniel Authority uh, joining <laughs> us, which is good. And Yep. And also, you missed yeah. my, my joke about how we also have a couple of dicks and a fart talking about movies. So, you know, that's that also works. <laughs> yeah. You know why, Nathan? <laughs> because we're talking about fucking Swiss Army Man tonight. Wait, what? Oh, what? Shit, I thought we were talking about multi-purpose tool guy. Oh, yeah, that's right. God damn it, I watched the wrong movie. I, Again. You know, you, you watch like the Walmart brand version of it. So you watched Elijah Wood and... Uh, Elijah, who, of course, it'd be Elijah Wood. <laughs> the <laughs> off-brand version Paul of Paul Dano be. Um, um, See, oh, I watched. Oh, I, wa- uh, I, I watched like the the Christian Network version of it, and it was uh, Kevin Sorbo and Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> you watched the worst version of it. Then I cannot imagine what the Christian Network version of Swiss Army Man would be. Can you? I, they, I like. They would just pray to Jesus and be found like the next day. Like, Story over. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah. I mean, Daniel Radcliffe did rise from the dead to uh, to save a person. So that's true. Yeah, it, I, th- know, I think what would happen is he would get an erection, and then they would immediately murder him all over. Who again, Jesus? All over again. Did Did you just make a joke about Jesus getting an erection after coming back? Uh, sure. <laughs> no, I mean, if you want to say Daniel Radcliffe is Jesus, because I mean. I mean, Pretty Harry good. Potter is obviously a, a super yeah. clear uh, Christ allegory. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So. But the girl at the end of the movie would have been the Virgin Mary Elizabeth Winstead. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Absolutely. I love where we are starting this episode. Uh, yeah. So. You have to get irreverent with this film immediately. <laughs> you just have to. The the opening scene. All right, before we even start getting into things, the opening scene of this movie perfectly sets the tone of Paul Dano trying to commit suicide by hanging himself, and then uh, fart jokes like that. <laughs> trying to hang himself, Man. deciding not to, then accidentally hanging himself anyway, only for the rope to break. <laughs> then thinking he is, then thinking he's got a person, then the farts, 
then trying it again with a belt. Yeah, then he's like, he's like, I thought you washed up on shore for a reason, and he just takes the belt and he's like, all right, I guess I'm trying it again. <laughs> oh my god, all oh, this man. movie. This all right. Movie is- Wow. We should uh, we should get into things. So Swiss Army Man, in case you don't know anything about it, it is basically the story of Paul Dano is stuck on an island and dead Daniel Radcliffe washes up on shore and then he reanimates and the two get into some amazing hijinks. Uh, <laughs> some, yeah. Whew, mm-hmm. Some amazing heart filled hijinks. That's it. And yeah, and, and this movie is just an absolutely beautiful existential tale of what it means to be human and how we have to relearn meaning when we feel lost. And it's it, it may be a bit on the nose. Uh, one of the reviews of someone that I saw on, on Letterboxd said that it didn't quite resonate with them because of how on the nose it was. I mean, I I get that. I can understand that. However, however, for me, it's like, yeah, who cares if it's on the nose? Like it, it still is a great message and a great story, and also some. I I feel like some really interesting things. And this, if you're going to tell a story that's on the nose, you could like they're at least telling it in the absolute least conventional way you could possibly imagine. Like there is nothing. That's such a weird criticism to me that it's that it's too on the nose because for, it is way yeah, for, it is well off the face. It is taking the as, nose completely off the face. For and, as bizarre and that it's like surfed it. It's like, come on, there's a like you can't say, well, you know, I knew it was a film about, you know, loneliness and despair because he was killing himself on a deserted <laughs> island in the first shot. Like fucking come on. <laughs> <laughs> and like it telegraphed what the meaning of this movie was immediately. Right. Like, and to be fair, for as bizarre as this movie gets, I can understand I can, I can understand that criticism of this is a very bizarre movie with such a straightforward message couldn't they have been a little bit more clever with whatever i get that but also not every movie has to hide its meaning under layers and layers and layers not every movie has to be an onion like sometimes you can just have the meaning right there on the surface so well, that you can fully embrace to it me, the, the entire part movie. of it was this guy was finally getting to talk about it with someone. Yeah, exactly. So it, that was the biggest point was how he was coming to terms. But to this was finding someone to talk to and listen to him. Yeah, that's, exactly. If it was an onion to be peeled, the film loses its purpose. <laughs> this, yeah, this movie is a um, a, a perfect. Oh, what's what I'm looking for? Um, it, it is a perfect supporter of why therapy is so important and how yes. sometimes just talking about your feelings and your thoughts. And sometimes you have thoughts about your thoughts and sometimes new thoughts interrupt those thoughts. It, it's perfect. <laughs> this movie is amazing. I absolutely adore it. Eric, yeah, I, I knew you would. So glad that you. I, I knew that I would too. Sometimes you suggest movies, and I'm like, eh, fine. No, uh-huh. this one, I I knew, I knew from the first trailer that I saw. It's like, yeah, of course, this mm. movie is for me. And uh, yeah, actually, this watching one it was for you. And I, but I'm thrilled to find out. Like, I, Dan, I just kind of assumed that you had seen this before. So, like, mm. the, it was one I've always wanted to see. Always wanted to see. 
Yeah, I love that this is a first time watch for you as well, and I am thrilled that you enjoyed it as oh. much as you did. Like, I'm so happy that this happened. Like, I just feel like I feel like I feel like we're just like the three buds hanging out in the woods now, just having a great time talking about our feelings. This is this podcast is just going to be a replication of the film itself, and I cannot wait to get into it. Yeah, this is one of my new favorite movies. We are the multi-purpose podcast men. Uh, Absolutely. You know what? That would have been oh, a man, great name. That should have podcast. been the title of the podcast. That should have been the name of the podcast. Multi-purpose podcast. Ah, well, you know, mm. you live and learn. We're, we're, we're just going to go ahead and uh, claim that learn. one for future use. So, uh, yes, video <laughs> monsters. Uh, uh, parentheses. Multi-purpose <laughs> podcast men. Uh, I love that this movie is called Swiss Army Man, and they <laughs> multiple times say multi-purpose, uh, multi-purpose tool man. What, shit, I already forgot what it is. It doesn't matter. Multi-purpose tool guy, uh, and never say Swiss Army Man. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> so great. Uh, we're, uh, okay, we, we should get past all of this so that we can actually start getting into <clears> things. Uh, in tonight's episode, we are going to be talking about all of the things that we've just been rambling about. We're going to be talking about some of the existential underpinnings of this film. We're going to be talking about some of that gross-out humor. We're going to be talking about the importance of just talking and, and sharing your thoughts and feelings with others. And we're going to be talking about how, even though some of these themes might be a little on the nose, that does not lessen the profundity of any of them this is a f***ing great movie and um it should be pretty clear that video monsters uh aka multi-purpose podcast guys absolutely <laughs> recommends this movie a thousand percent without a doubt stop listening to us go watch the movie right now come back and listen to us it's relatively short it was what like 110 minutes was, was that right yeah it's like it's it's under it's under two wait yeah, it's definitely under two. It's like yeah, about somewhere like that. I don't. Know. I have IMDb pulled up right here. It's an hour and thirty-seven minutes. So ninety-seven. Oh, minutes. is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very short. Yeah. All right. It doesn't overstay its welcome. Yeah. No. It's mostly. it it um it questionably overstays its welcome, but in a way that I cannot wait for us to talk about. All right. So yeah. we already gave some of our background uh, with the popcorn punch out in terms of Dan and I had not seen it. It's been on our list for a while, and Eric uh, added this to added this to the skull of decisions. Mm-hmm. So, Eric, I know that you already talked yes, about this a little bit during the punch out, but why again was this one of your picks? Uh, yeah, dude, I just like weird movies. Um, I I'm so drawn. Like I I watch so many movies, and and so many of them are just like the same old kind of stuff over and over. And that's great. Like I love comfort viewing mo- like comfort food movies i love marvel movies i just saw the new doctor strange and all that shit but like this movie is just it's so unique and i was so excited to watch it when it first came out that i like really made a point to seek it out as soon as i could because i'm like this is going to be one of those movies that when you watch it you can definitively say i have never seen anything like this movie before um and and so yeah once i watched it i really enjoyed it a lot but um, I, I, I struggled a bit with the ending of the film, and I it's one of the like one of the main reasons I picked it was because of course I, I thought you guys would love it, but also because I really needed to come to terms with the ending of the film, and I'm still not quite sure that I have. So I'm ho- hopefully we'll find some closure by the end of this. But the ending is so fascinating. Um, and I, I just need to talk it out. But also, just the film itself is so beautiful and lovely, and it does. Like I honestly do not like 
fart jokes in movies. <laughs> like I, I am one of those people. I'm one of those like stuck up people who I'm like, oh, that's the lowest form of comedy, kind of whatever, because it's usually just used as a cheap punchline. And the uh, the uh, Daniels, the filmmakers who made this film, I was reading online that the way that they pitched it to Paul Dano at least was. Uh, we want to make a movie where the first fart makes you laugh and the last one makes you cry. <laughs> and I just think that, like, I just love the fucking swing that this movie is. Like, the audacity of trying to make a movie about this very specific... It's like, it's Castaway meets Weekend at Bernie's meets, like, Where the Wild Things Are. Absolutely. But, like, structured as a romantic mm-hmm. comedy. I don't, it's just so fascinating. Um, so, yeah, I, I can't wait to dig into it. <laughs> and and we're gonna talk about the farts because uh, I I'm I'm right there with you. Where typically fart jokes, I'm just kind of like uh, I make fart jokes, but also I know that they are the worst jokes that I make, and I make a lot of puns. And then so yeah, typically like farts in movies, I'm just like, uh, um. But in Swiss Army Man, the farts actually have a purpose. And, and and we'll get into some of that once we get past the spoiler wall and we we might even start with the purpose of the farts because you know that was i mean the uh, movie was, like it literally it was begins literally with the a driving fart. force of the movie Li- literally yes yes mm-hmm. it's propelled by flatulence <laughs> it really put the wind in the sails of this film yeah 100 percent all right um yeah so from here on out spoilers spoilers all the spoilers we're going to be talking about the end of the movie because as eric just said we need to work through some issues uh and and you know let some things out but uh if you've seen the movie then i hope that you enjoy it because i know that the three of us are going to have a gas (laughs) Uh Uh can you imagine think about like the foley artist on this film like I, I was reading that apparently the people on like in the film actually contributed their farts to the sound mix. Like they would oh, literally wow record their farts to be used in the mix of the film. And apparently the only person who didn't contribute was Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> 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 He's the one who's hiding his farts from everyone. Oh, uh, which is just so funny. Well, especially considering uh, the movie. All right, so let's start getting into things. Um, let's talk about the farts of this movie. Very specifically, like we just said, not always a huge fan of fart jokes, but the <laughs> but the way that they talk about uh, farts a few times throughout the movie. <laughs> oh my god, we're gonna have a hard time getting through this episode, guys. Uh, the there, there are a few conversations that Danny Radcliffe has throughout the movie about like it, it seems so silly because um, again if you're still with us hopefully you've seen the movie but if not spoilers spoilers all the spoilers Danny Radcliffe is basically a baby having to relearn mm-hmm. everything and I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old so I can relate to a lot of the questions that Daniel Radcliffe reanimated oh uh, shit what was uh, his character's name was it uh, it wasn't Hank Manny. It was the yeah Manny so Manny. all of Manny's questions as he is being reanimated and trying to relearn life those are questions that one and three-year-olds ask and my three-year-old especially loves to burp loves to fart because you know they're just natural parts of the body and so having to explain to him like okay 
there's nothing wrong with that because I don't want him to, you know, like feel embarrassed or get any sort of weird complexes about like, oh, no, I farted. That's terrible. But also sometimes socially uh, unacceptable. But I also teach him when when you fart, when you burp, you need to say, excuse me, at least have that social awareness. Uh, but a few times when Dana Radcliffe is talking about farts, he's talking about it as basically, you know, a release and talking about it with being comfortable around uh, those around you. And at, at one point he asks uh, Paul Dano, why is it that he never farts around him? Because Paul Dano has to keep hiding things in. And yes, it's on the nose, but... It is also a very, very, very good analogy on how when you hold things in and you get backed up, that's not always the healthiest for you. And sometimes when you let out some of the stuff that's inside of you, it might stink. It might grow some people out. It might not always be the most socially acceptable, but it generally leads to a, a healthier resolution to be able to, you know, to let out some of that pressure and and so yeah it's on the nose but man it is a it's on the nose in a way, way that no other movie would ever dare to be yeah, on the nose exactly. like it's on the ass like i mean like <laughs> yeah. it's just so it's well, I mean, just it's, so funny that yeah i mean one of the last so things that's said in the movie that resonated with me really well and it it comes into this because it's all back to bodily functions it's Maybe we're all ugly stacks of shit and all it takes is for one person to be okay with that. And oddly enough, this reminded me of one of my favorite scenes in Goodwill Hunting where uh, Robin Williams' character, Sean, is is talking about his dead wife and how she would yeah, yeah. sleep and how it was like the little things that you miss. And it's like, you know, that's that's intimacy. That's familiarity. Mm. That's being comfortable with the person. And that's what this film is all about is Paul Dano just trying to be comfortable with who he is. Yeah. You know, and, and being able to express these things and and feel that kind of love and intimacy. And yeah, it's it's the thing we often hide, you know, that mm. has to come come out in order yeah. for it to be, you know it's so fast like he's Paul Dano's character is just like someone who is so crippled by insecurity and self-doubt and it's the way like kind of what Nathan was saying earlier the way that they use Daniel Radcliffe's dead body as like this he has the same like understanding of the world as a child but he is not a child, therefore it is okay for Paul Dana to be talking about these things with him. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's it's just such a brilliant way to like cut through all the bullshit like social constructs that we deal with every day where he just like he's able to in like such a an innocent, naive way question everything about existence. Mm -hmm. It's like why do we do this? Like what is the mm -hmm. point of this? Yeah. Like why do we hide so much of ourselves? He's like, why do you even want to go home? It sounds like you can't do anything fun there. Yeah. <laughs> like it's why just, would you ever say no to masturbation? Like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, I, God. One of the best scenes of the movie is like where Paul Dano talks about how he won't masturbate because it makes him think of his mom, and then he's like, <laughs> and Reckless, like, but I masturbate, whatever that is. I'm gonna think of your mom, so that way it's not weird anymore. <laughs> and that's just like that's like it's so brilliant. They're like it's really hilarious, but it's also funny because that's like a hundred percent like 
it's so authentic to the way that a child sees the world. Like, yeah. it's like, oh, of course, like, I don't want you to be alone. I want you to feel like there's someone there for you. So he he doesn't have any understanding of like how bizarre that is to say that. <laughs> so of course there's a ton of Freudian stuff in this movie because uh, of course there is. Okay, oddly enough, one of my favorite scenes in the movie, uh, kind of going off of Eric uh, that scene of next time I masturbate, I'm going to think of your mom. The scene where uh, Paul Dano is like it, it's later in the movie where he's been dressing up like. Um, what is the female lead uh, of the of, of the movie? I don't have IMDb pulled up. And Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Mary Elizabeth Winstead. So is her name he, Sarah? That sounds right. Sarah Johnson, I think. Uh, so as he's been pretending to be uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and like it, it's later in the movie, and so like this connection has been forming, which we need to talk about that because uh, Eric, when you described this as Weekend at Bernie's meets. Um, Oh shit! What did what did you say? We get burn. Cast away, cast away, and where the wild things are wrapped up in a romantic comedy. I I love the romantic comedy aspect of this film, and it's amazing. But when um when Paul Dan or, no sorry when Dana Radcliffe is saying so I have this friend Hank and he won't masturbate because it makes him think of his mom and Paul Dano takes oh, off yeah, the yeah, wig yeah. and he's like dude saying like, just come on like mm-hmm. that scene is so it's so heartfelt and so touching mm-hmm. and it starts out so bizarre but then the rest of the conversation that Daniel Radcliffe goes into it's like yeah this is one of the many cruxes of the movie about again just like finding that connection mm-hmm. and we've all got kind of f***ed up pasts you know different levels of f***ed upness but there's something in all of our lives that is holding all of us back and the way that we move forward is not by forgetting about it, but, you know, by accepting part of that and learning how to move past it in a healthy way. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, Paul Dano's relationship to his mom and and that love that he had for her and the fact that she is now dead and the awkward relationship that he had between his memory of his mom and his, uh, his guilt of masturbating. Like, that's a very difficult thing to overcome. And so, like, through <laughs> through his reanimated corpse friend, he's learning not to forget his mom, because you don't want to do that, but learning to accept also this part of himself. And it's just a beautiful scene. It mm-hmm. is it's, weird. It's truly incredible. it's such a beautiful scene. How every single moment of this movie is so, like, crass and and juvenile but so heartfelt and and sincere and earnest and and sweet like it's it's really a magic trick i feel like it's the kind of thing that like no i can't think of any other movie that really tries to do something like this like to literally break down all these social barriers and just like be like yeah like i don't know like just not even it's a movie that has the kind of self-confidence that Paul Dano's character doesn't. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I love that so much about it. It's really, I like, I can't imagine being the people making this movie and going through all this. And, like, it, it's great. Like, it's so great, like, how much these actors and these filmmakers are willing to put themselves out there for something so bizarre mm-hmm. and then have to go out and promote it. Like, I was listening to the, uh, Daniels on Postmortem because they just had an episode recently and they were talking about like because Mick Garris is asking them like if their parents are proud of them, and they're like, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's probably difficult for them to talk to them like sons 
uh, the one who made the, the like my son made the farting corpse movie, but but like they're still proud of us. And I don't know. There's just something that's so so great about that. I I wish that I could do things like that. I am absolutely a person who is um, very averse to breaking social norms for the most part. <laughs> social decorum, if you will. Yeah. And, and my go-to for uh, when I don't want to be in a meeting is to walk into the meeting rubbing my stomach and it's like, oh, God, sorry I'm, sorry, I'm late. And then that sets the stage for I'm done with this meeting so I can blame it on needing to take a shit. And seriously, try it. Next meeting that you really don't want to be in. You, you don't, you oh, you've told me to try this before and yes. I never have. But, you don't uh, make a huge deal out of it. You just walk in, just kind of rubbing your belly, just kind of tilting your head a little bit, just like, ah. Oh. Oh, geez. All right. Sorry, I'm late. And and then you just go straight into whatever it is. And throughout the meeting, you know, kind of wince a little bit, kind of shift in your chair a little bit. And then about, mm-hmm. you know, 15 minutes into the meeting when you're like, I'm just <laughs> fucking done. It's like, I'm very sorry. You'll have to excuse me. And then just get up and walk out. Mm-hmm. They're not going to question it. I guarantee you. That's your, oh, absolutely. That's your piece of advice uh, from <laughs> the multi-purpose podcast, guys. <laughs> the I don't even remember where I was going to go with this. Um, well, yeah, well, one so, of the things. Yes, to, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just say to piggyback off what you were talking about, where in that scene when uh, Manny is talking to Hank and he takes the wig off, like he's literally changing roles. I do <laughs> love the kind of like running bit throughout the film where Paul Dano is constantly like, even though he's literally off by himself in the woods with a corpse, he's still constantly like having to confront that insecurity. And there's like multiple parts throughout the movie where he'll say something like, do you have any idea what people at home back home would think if they saw me like this? But then once he actually like puts the wig on to become Sarah and like act that out, he actually like, he really loosens up. Like it's like when he's in someone else's skin and when he is not himself anymore, it's like he actually feels a lot more comfortable to a certain extent. I think that's really fascinating. Like, I love the way that they, and I think that some of that also, uh, can build off of the fact that it's so much easier to give advice to others than it is to take our own advice. You know, like oh, yeah, how many times have you been talking to someone and they're talking about whatever issue they're going through and you're like, Oh, well, obviously what you need to do is the mm-hmm. exact opposite of what you would actually do in real life because you know that you would never actually like take the bold steps that you're telling other people to do. And, and he sees Manny doing this and it's like giving him a way to live vicariously through Manny, who is becoming like the person who he wants to be. Right. Yeah. And, and he wishes he could be. And one of the things I, I want to go ahead and start talking about the ending a little bit, because I feel like a lot of the other uh, the things that we're going to analyze and discuss are either going to be building towards the ending or uh, being a good comparison of how what happens throughout the movie relates to what happens at the end. And again, since we've already given the spoiler wall. So I love that this entire movie has Paul Dano building in confidence and like, you know, throughout the entire movie, you you're growing with him. At least I was. And so, you know, like as it's going on, I'm, I'm getting happier when he's happy and all of the very cinematic, you know, like slow motion, very twinkly type of stuff with the indie music playing in the background. I don't care how overplayed some of that stuff is. I that music, it, the music it touched me in my soul. <laughs> extraordinary. It it's all so acapella, good. and it's so it's it's, 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 it's definitely the lyrics are great. Like the, yeah, 
you can't always understand the lyrics, so I had to turn on the subtitles and just... Yeah. Sometimes the shit is so funny what's actually being sung that you don't realize what's being sung. Yeah, no, it's really that like it there's the one the best one is the montage where he turns him into a machine gun and the lyrics are like, I turned you your body into a machine gun. Are we falling in love or something? Like I don't know. It's so it's so funny. It's, it's so good. Humor And it's done is... by Manchester Orchestra. Who the, uh, Daniels did uh, some music videos for the the humor is diffusing the uh, the existential dread throughout this entire movie, but throughout this entire movie, like as Paul Dano's character is growing and accepting himself, like you're rooting for him and you're on that journey, mm-hmm. and as that romantic comedy between um, uh, Paul Dano in the Sarah costume is quote-unquote falling in love with manny but you know mm-hmm. it's just like their friendship is is growing and like as all of the stuff is happening you're like yes he is turning into this person that he is teaching manny how to be and and then some mm-hmm. of the stuff they talk about at the end uh, especially when paul dano and i know that i keep referring to the actors rather than the character names i'm gonna go back and forth with that sorry here i'm gonna i'm gonna give you a hint it's very easy to remember paul dano's character's name because his name is hank thompson which is uh, very clearly a nod to the actor who is the star of Castaway. <laughs> <laughs> so, Can't remember his name off the top of my head, but um, I, I, you might I have heard of him. No, uh, it's we might have done a whole month of his movies back uh, in uh, November. No, drawn, drawn a complete blank. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll have to go search my cloud atlas to find his name. So, <laughs> <laughs> so as, even if I remember his name, I'm just going to go back and forth between Hank and Paul Dano. So uh, towards the end when, you know, Hank and Manny are having their sort of quasi confrontation where Hank has to open up to him and tell him the truth about uh, some of those things. Then he gets attacked by a bear. Like as all of this stuff is, <laughs> is absolutely that was your sentence, and then gets attacked by a bear. <laughs> well, um, also, I I realized um, that Midsommar was not the only movie with a bear that we talked about. I did not know that this one had a bear. That might have changed the <laughs> arguments. So <laughs> when when all that stuff is happening, and like with any other movie, once they have that big revelation of you know like how to be the better person or once they've had to you know come clean and and talk about the lies that they've been telling like in any other movie well d- depending on you know like where it falls on the drama to to comedy scale but a lot of other movies once they've done that like everything gets resolved and everything is better or if it's a romantic comedy you have like you know maybe a couple of scenes of them being sad when the girlfriend or ex-wife or whatever is just like i can't believe that you would lie to me and then they have the other grand uh, gesture and then they fall back in love like things end so happy in most movies that have the tone of the first you know 85 to 90 percent of this movie and then when they tumble out of the woods into sarah's backyard and and sarah comes out and she's like what are you doing here what's going on and and paul dano can't speak and mm-hmm. the little girl was just like he says that he's hurt she's like is, is that true are you hurt and he just kind of shakes his head after everything that he had been through after that entire journey that you're following him through he still can't talk to the girl that he thinks is hot. And mm. then when he sees his dad, he still is like hiding and almost uh, lets him believe that that he was dead. Let, 
Hank almost lets his dad believe that Hank is dead when it was mm-hmm. Manny in the, the yeah. body bag. That's such a nice moment, yeah, where he sees his dad crying and he realizes like the love that his dad actually had for him because there's the whole exchange about how like, oh yeah, if I died, my dad wouldn't even notice because he'd still get the automated, the the happy birthday e-card or whatever. It's a beautiful <laughs> moment and then he still turns away to make sure that he isn't seen. Like after <clears throat> everything that he had been through, he is still trying to hide himself. He is still mm-hmm. not allowing himself to have that confidence that had been growing. And I, I don't know. I like that this movie ends a little bit dark. And then when they go in well, the woods. The, the, yeah, wait, I was going to say, I love it because guess what? <clears throat> Mental health isn't that easy to overcome. Yep. You know, it's, of course, he's still going to have these problems when he tries to reintegrate into society. Because yeah. Yeah. that's. That's why he's out in the fucking woods to begin with is he can't do it. He just can't. Yeah, he's out like, in the woods, like literally trying to escape. Yeah. Being an adult, like he's just playing in the woods. He's creating these like mock-ups of reality of, of the bus and making his own shadow puppet movies. And I mean, I mean, first of all, it looks uh, pretty awesome. Brilliant. Honest, like, <laughs> looks great. What, what, They're watching Jurassic on, Park. And, hold on one more second. Because uh-huh. I want to stack a few more things on top of, man, this movie ends dark. When they go into the woods, as uh, as Hank's like, no, Manny, you need to be free. And they go through the woods and they see all of this magical stuff that he had been creating. Any other quirky comedy about someone, you know, discovering themselves in the woods, they would have looked around and been like, wow, this is magical. Like, look, look at all this yeah. creativity. Mm. But like the, the, the cinematography and the music shifts when it's the other people's perspective to, Oh my God, this dude is a psychopath. There has been a serial killer it's, living in our backyard. Yeah. That's part of the thing that I kind of struggled with because it's so like, I do appreciate what they're going for, but it is so confrontational and it's, yes, and it's it deliberate. Is. Like I, I admit, like I, my struggling with it, I think is, is deliberate like it's supposed to be like yeah you've been on this beautiful journey and also this guy might be a psychopath like and that's exactly how you would feel about him if you i love the way the movie kind of implicates you like to make you be like yeah you've been on this wonderful journey with these people and it's been this beautiful friendship or love story or whatever you want to think but now see it from this perspective and these people are all like oh my god this guy's crazy and you're like is he actually crazy like you you kind of go you're kind of on their (laughs) side for a little bit you're like which part of it upsets me because I mean I, I appreciate that the movie does actually like it doesn't make this into something that was all in his head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it lets the people it lets it, it acknowledges the reality of the situation. Well, yeah, well, it does let the audience it's... off the hook a little bit by doing that, but at the same time, it's like I I, 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 I just like the way that it flips well, on, yeah, on his well, head and it gonna, immediately makes you question everything that happened in the film where you're well, like, you're oh, God, was this really a horrible thing? Too, because you start to realize he's in her backyard. Like, yeah, he's not. He's not been lost he, in the woods. He's been right he's in her backyard the whole time. Just random woods. He is literally in an encampment behind her house. Well, yeah, he's he did not end up there by accident. Then that, that, that well, it's, it's because on his phone. It's because so the boner compass was leading him there. 
he's a he's a dangerous human being by most you know law-abiding standards right yeah 100% he is is legitimately stalking this poor girl I have a theory that I know Eric is gonna hate we'll get to it in one second because I also want to end with that last little bit of when when everything is revealed like oh no like Daniel Radcliffe is reanimated and he's farting and you know sending himself back out to sea once again rather than it being like oh it was real rather than having that disney ending you have sarah going what uh, oh, the uh, f-? yeah and no no i, I still don't think it's a happy I, ending i am torn i think that it's happy but in a very dark way yeah yeah 100%. so but i do like it, it, um, go ahead yeah i know i just wanted to oh shit I, i'm already forgetting what i was about to say um well as you try to remember what you're about to say there is a way that you can read this movie that Eric, you would absolutely hate. And, oh, okay. I remember what I was going to say. And, and I like the fact that this movie has some ambiguity and it can be watched a number of ways. Yeah. One of the ways that this movie can be watched is Paul Dano did die at the beginning. Hank did successfully commit suicide. Be- I, yeah. I didn't say that this is the most likely <laughs> way to read it. Vigorously. I don't think that that's the most fun way to read it. I think that it's way more fun to think <laughs> that uh, Manny is a reanimated multi-purpose uh, uh, guy, multi-purpose function, whatever. Yeah, whatever I mean, seriously, if, if a corpse washed up on, like, if if a corpse showed up on your front yard and could do all this shit, I would, I'd probably, mm-hmm. I'd consider keeping it around. Yeah, sure. Yeah. He, he I, could occupy the kids for a little while. I'm, I'm just saying, you could especially with a, a few of the times where Hank talks about how, uh, you know, like his life flashed before his eyes, you could watch this movie as when he tried to hang himself, he was successful and the entire movie is his life flashing yeah. before his eyes and all of the things that he regrets not doing, all of the things that he wished that he could have done better, uh, that part of him that he felt like was dead for so long that uh that the part that was more creative and more questioning and able to find the beauty in life and you know as he is thinking through all of the things that he wanted to be all of the things that he regretted not doing it then ends with how society hated him you know because uh manny keeps talking about oh right nobody loves you and so yeah the ending could have been you know as all of those endorphins are rushing <clears throat> his brain and and it's the end that could have been the oh right life yeah. sucked and Absolutely. and Ugh. this is why everyone hated me and and there could have been again all of like that societal guilt crushing back in on him this movie absolutely absolutely can be watched as i don't the entire thing is in his brain as yeah. uh, as he's dying, I don't I don't like that. It, I don't think that it is. Be, but you'd be watching it wrong. Again, I don't think that that's <laughs> that is that it yeah. That's a pretty downbeat way of looking. No, at I, it. I like to see it as you only get to know people at the point you come into their life. <clears throat> so we come into this. We come into Hank's life at one of his lowest parts, and we by the end of the movie just think he's the most great one most he's like the best wonderful person like he's just misunderstood right he's got a good heart he just wants love i mean because how many times have you ever like you've got a friend of a friend in common and you're like god that guy's an asshole and your friend will look at you like he's the greatest guy i know what are you mm-hmm. talking about <clears throat> this yeah. is that 
where you're like, my God, Paul Dano's character is so wonderful and all this. And then you're like, oh, no, no. Yeah. I, he's, he's, oh, he's stalking he's, a no, married woman with a kid. Yeah. I also do. I appreciate the way that it, by framing the ending of the film in that way, it, it actually feels kind of like a commentary a little bit on like the, the manic pixie dream girl, because that's a hundred percent what Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character is for 90% of the movie. Well, and she Hank's is mind. the object, huh? In Hank's mind. In, in Hank's mind. Exactly. Right. And, and yeah, she's the object of desire. She's what they're fighting for all this other stuff. And then you get to the end and it's like, Oh, she's married. She has a kid. She is completely unattainable. Not only is she unattainable, but she is like a person with her own autonomy who's living her own life, who has no idea who the hell this guy is. And it is, and he is literally stalking her. And I do appreciate that the movie is is implicating the characters in that regard, because so often, you know, if this is like Garden State, which, you know, it's <laughs> it's yeah, you're kissing at the airport at the end of that movie. But in this movie, it's like, no, he realizes that this fantasy reality of what he wanted out of her and what he wanted out of life is not actually what he needs or what he should have or what what is important to him. Like he would much rather like Manny is his soulmate, really. Is kind of the way he, and 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 honestly, like if whether it's whether it's his death, like whether he dies at the beginning and it's all playing out in his head or whatever, like if Manny is actually just like some kind of manifestation of this other part of his personality that he, yeah, you know, the side of his personality that is questioning why he does everything that he does and questioning why, like quite literally, most of. Daniel Radcliffe's interactions with him for the first half of this movie is just him saying like, why? Like, what is this? Explain this to me. What does everything poop? You know, like <laughs> it's literally just like oh, and, and writing everything poops on the Bible. Well, yeah. <laughs> bravo guys. Bravo. And one, it's, it's such a little gag, but one of my favorites when they're going to the woods and, uh, and Hank says, they're going to see everything. And then it cuts to the book that just the, the Bible where he's retold the story of everything poops. And it just says everything on the, this front. is everything. Yeah. <laughs> so they literally saw everything. It's oh, funny. It's so they bad. actually mention They say everything everywhere a few different yes. times and it's in one of the songs too. And then of course their movie that's in theaters now is everything everywhere. All yeah, at once. Everything Matt, everything everywhere matters to everyone. Yeah. That's what, that's exactly yeah. what the song lyric is. Um, but what I was getting at was if, if that is the case and Hank is just a sounding board, then the, kind of like the um the kind of like statement at the end of the film is basically like or the the arc of Hank's character is that he is learning to live with himself and be comfortable with himself. Yeah. And you know, especially since Manny kind of like farts off into the distance <laughs> up into the horizon, he's gone and now Hank has to be on his own and he on his own and he's okay with that. You know, it's it's such a great like punctuation mark to the end of his arc where he farts in front of everyone and he goes, I did that. Or, you know, he says it was me. Like that's so, that's just such a great like full circle moment where you see that he, like that is the moment where he's really changed and become comfortable with himself. Yeah. And, and, and again, that's why I don't like watching the movie as, Oh, he died at the beginning because I think that a lot of the power of that ending 
gets lost if it was just in this head. I think that it still works. I think that all of it can still play just as strong. And I think that if anyone reads the movie as, oh, well, he was dead the entire time, I, I don't think that they would have a lesser movie. For yeah. me, the, the fact that when they get to the end and he not only opens up himself to, to Manny to fart in front of him, but also to fart in front of all of these other people, to fart in front of his dad, who he barely talks to and only has those automated birthday messages. Uh, the, the, he farted in front of the girl that he had been obsessed and stalking. He farted in front of uh, the cops. like he's A news crew. Of, yeah, and so <laughs> the fact that he is literally in front of Shane up, Carruth. Yep. He's opening himself up. To all of these people, close friends, objects of desire, the the law, like there's something so beautiful in that. And that's why for me, I like that this movie ends dark because if it ended happy, then it's too easy to be like, oh, yeah, of course, everything's happy. Of course, it's easier to fart around your friends. You know, like when you think about your really close friends. You fart around them all the time, and it's hilarious. In fact, the worse they smell, the more other people, except the person closest to you, laughs. Like, it's funny when there's a nice, deep, rank fart with your close friends. It's gross. Someone who hangs around middle school boys all day long, yes, this is what they do. Uh But around close friends, there's that openness. Uh, And the... Shit, where was I going with that? So, um... And at the end of the day, it's not even about like being like it's it's less about like being open with your friends in that moment. It's about just being yourself and doing what feels right for you. Right. Because that, yeah, the whole monologue that Manny has is like about how whether it's farting or masturbating, it's like you should do this if it makes you feel good. If it makes you happy. Why wouldn't you do it all the time? <laughs> right. Yeah. Why would you do it all the time? Yeah. He's like, I just don't understand why you wouldn't do that if, it, if it's something that would make you happy. That, uh, that reminded me of where I was going with it. So if it had a happy ending, th- happy ending and everything was wonderful, then his big releasing fart at the end wouldn't have had the same impact. Like if he had farted and everyone had given him like a slow clap, I, I don't feel like it would have been the same because that's where I went on that tangent of. of no, I like that there's a mixture of reactions. Friends. Yeah, his dad is like smiling and nodding and happy. Mary Elizabeth Winston. The last line of the movie is literally Mary Elizabeth Winston going, <laughs> what the f***? <laughs> so, and that for me is why the movie works so well is. Yeah, it's great. It's like you, you be yourself up. and some people are going to judge you and some people exactly. accept you and other people people are just going to be like completely oblivious to what's going on around. You know, it's right. like whatever he's opening you himself have to do what when best it's dark. for you. He's opening himself up when, when there are going to be consequences, he's opening himself up when things aren't the best. And so he's having to make a much tougher decision to accept who he is. And, and that's why when I was watching it again, first scene of the movie, I was like, all right, is he just dead? Is Dana Radcliffe like just his disembodied soul as they're going? It, mm, is any of this really happening? But when it got to the end, I was like, okay, yeah, it happened. Whether or not it actually happened, or, but for me, it happened, and it needed to happen because it needs this dark ending to be more realistic. And, mm-hmm. and so often I'm saying it needs to be more realistic with as bizarre as the movie gets, <laughs> but that's what brings weight to the rest of the movie. Because yeah, if, if this was just, if this was just, you know, a, a happy weird indie, Oh, everyone's farting around and it's great. 
I don't know. It, it doesn't have the same impact. Uh, I, I love the fact that you used um, where the wild things are as a reference because where the wild things are kind of has a oddly similar ish tale of, you know, as you are uh, wanting to run away from things and you're on the, the island with all of the, um, where, well, the island where the wild things are, it's much easier to just be yourself and go on this wild rumpus and all this other stuff. But then we're like, oh, right. I have to go back to reality. Mm. <sighs> and I, I love that where the wild things are ends with going back to reality rather than staying in yeah. um, staying in, in the bazaar. And to me, again, that's part of where this movie carries its weight is ending dark, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's my only my biggest issue, I think, was just that it makes you sit like the the ending of this movie is like 20 minutes long. Like it makes you sit in this moment for a very long time. And it gets to the like, I don't I I think that was just my biggest issue is I didn't like how uncomfortable it made me feel because I'm like, I want to root for Paul Dano. I don't want to think that he's a creep who has literally just been in the woods with an actual dead body that has just been dead <laughs> that he's been talking to and playing her and weekend at Bernie Bernie Zing for a while. And just playing like that, that bugs me that that would be it. But, um, but also that just makes me feel like I am just like the people who are over there judging him. <laughs> but also like, there's a part of me where it's like those people probably should be judging him if he's been stalking this woman. I don't know. Like I, I do, I do appreciate the big swing of it. And I, I feel like this conversation has made me like feel a little bit better about it and, and understand it in a, in a better way by hearing the way that you all interpret it. So, well, and there's also one of the lines earlier that I meant to add to the soundboard, but I didn't have a chance. Uh, at one point after Manny <laughs> says something to Hank, he starts singing and Hank says, what are you doing? Manny says, I'm singing a song. So you won't overthink things. <laughs> there's a lot of that throughout the entire movie of there's a lot yeah. of very beautiful indie acapella music happening during some very bizarre moments and it brings you into the emotion of how mm. they feel and it keeps you from overthinking how f***ed up it actually is and then yeah, 100%. when it gets well, to it the end does... that music cuts out you don't get that beautiful music for a good portion of that last 20 minutes and yeah it's really the movie things. The movie has a lot of that kind of upbeat, like poppy kind of like, like almost scatting kind of thing going on. I'm scatting maybe not the right word, but like whatever it is. It's all like onomana poetic type music. Although I do, pre one thing I, I have to say this really quick. One of the things I love about it that I forgot to mention earlier is that the music steadily like builds and layers on itself. Like it starts off with just kind of like the ambient noises where they're just kind of making doo-doo noises or whatever. And then they start like actually adding in lyrics and at first you just hear like one voice and then you hear both Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe. Like it's building and building as their confidence is kind of boosting, which I really like. And, and it's so like upbeat and poppy and happy. And especially when it's playing throughout all these montages, which are so fun. But then in that last moment, the actual like style of filmmaking changes where the music becomes a lot darker and more oppressive. And it, and it's like, the whole tone of the film shifts to feel very dark and oppressive. Like it's, yep. 
it's it's tough to sit through after going through everything. Um, but it does make that final moment on the beach feel even more cathartic, I think, too. Yeah. So. Well, and, and I love the well music. It, it reminded me of, uh, not reminded me, but as I was listening to the music, it made me think, this is what it would sound like if Bonnie Vare was given the reins to Polyphonic Spree. And it's just like, all right, no more instruments. Those are words that you just said that, that make no sense to me. Dude. Dude. I have no idea what any of those words mean. I'll post some stuff in the chat when I have a chance to not also <laughs> be talking because I apparently can't look up things and talk in uh, and, and do the chat. They, they are both indie bands, uh, and I think that you might like one of them, maybe. But once you listen to both of them, you're like, okay, I, I, I get it. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Fellas, we've been talking about our feelings a lot. Yes, we have. <laughs> we've... We've skipped over like so much rad shit that's in this movie, well, including Mr. Radcliffe. I wanted we to haven't talked sure about just like how about... cool and creative and incredibly well made this movie is. So I want to get into some of the technical stuff in general because there's I... some incredible filmmaking. Yes, absolutely. I wanted movie. to make sure that we addressed the th- that deeper analysis first because I I think that our job might be done with the analysis. There might be other things that we think of like, Oh, right. And also that, but like the core of what is the video monsters analysis of yeah, yeah, Swiss yeah. army man. Yeah. I think we're done. Now we, now we can talk about all the other things, all of the amazing uh, technology, all of the just really funny lines, some of the weird scenes that are just beautiful. So yeah, now we can start getting into the, Oh man. And also this, kind of uh elements so eric i have a couple other analysis things but they're they're baked into the technical stuff really just like one other thing i want to mention that i thought was pretty interesting but um but no okay so guys i don't know if you know this but daniel radcliffe plays a corpse in this movie and i find that to be cool yes um Mm -hmm. also (laughs) his performance is just absolutely extraordinary to me like, yeah. this is the kind of role that is just like, I think I read somewhere that Daniel Radcliffe said this is his favorite movie of his own that he's been in. <laughs> and he is so, so committed to this that it is unbelievable. Like, the way that he constantly has his his left eye, is it his the, left? One of his eyes, like, kind of squinted the whole time, and it's kind of like, whatever. Well, like That's a thing the, about him. Like, he has a, a like, a physical thing that... I, I think like one of his eyes is lazy or like are you serious yeah no like some of that is an actual physical thing about him I, okay I, it well, was it was emphasized in this movie it's not always that prominent gotcha but mm. yeah there there are some things about him that like there, there's there, there's something weird going on with yeah. his left eye i can't remember well, exactly what it is i don't know if i ever noticed that before yeah and along with his his uh taking on the challenge of this role we also have to point out this guy was the biggest kid star on the the planet. Right, yeah. This kid could have coasted on doing nothing the rest of his life because he was Harry Potter. You know, he was a generational character. Yeah. He, you know, he's going to be known as Harry Potter his entire life. When he eventually it's- dies, hopefully decades from now, it's going to be man who played Harry Potter dead. Yeah. You know, and he was like, you know what? I'm going to get weird with my origins now. I've I've made my money. I've made my fame. I'm going to do weird shit now. 
for, I, for you know. <laughs> I love it so much. Like it's one of the reasons why I I never really get too mad at like these kind of like young adult adaptations. Like everybody likes to shit on the Twilight movies, but the Twilight movies gave Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson the clout to do whatever the f- they want for the rest of their lives, and that is yeah. a that is truly the gift that keeps on giving. And we'll mm-hmm. be talking about Ro Pattinson soon. But like Harry Potter is the same thing. Like also Jane Radcliffe, from Harry Potter too. <laughs> yes. also, yeah, of course. Also from Harry and, Potter too. And he got but the like, role I, in Twilight because of Harry Potter. Yeah. I'm actually I, I think that Daniel Radcliffe is has made it like I can't think of another child actor who has been more successful at like shedding that image. Where like you see Dan Radcliffe, you still think of him as Harry Potter, but like when you see him in other movies, like I watch this movie and I don't see him as Harry Potter at no. all. Like he is Manny. He inhabits this role so fully and is so committed. And he the way that he just slowly comes to life is truly some of the most extraordinary, like subtle acting I've well, ever seen. Like the we mentioned it, one of his one of his kind of contemporary counterparts there uh, earlier in Elijah Wood. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. here's a, here's a guy who could have just coasted on. I was I was Frodo, man. You know. Yeah. Frodo. Oh yeah. Elijah Wood doesn't instead went and helped you know form us help form a oscilloscope and you know produces a lot of whacked out horror movies. Stars in a lot of whacked out. Films. <laughs> just to like come to daddy, which is incredible yeah. and so bizarre. Yeah, like yeah, come to daddy, the maniac remake. Like he uh, he, he he himself is not afraid to get weird. Yeah. So I like that they both kind of had that. You were in some of the biggest movies of all time. You now have freedom to do whatever you want, and you are making the coolest choices in doing <laughs> yeah. so. Yeah, you, you know. went from Harry Potter to Harry Pooter because he got Harry Butt. <laughs> <laughs> he shows a lot of his ass in this movie. He does. And it's, so much so that I wondered if it was an ass double. Well, there is an ass double for some of the seats. Like, for what, the close up where there are uh, bubbles coming out, that is a. Uh, that is, well, that's literally, it's not a person. It's literally it's an like animatronic. An animatronic ass that shoots <laughs> bubbles out. For the close-ups, but he tried to do as much of the actual acting on his own as he possibly could. You, did you guys watch? I sent you a video of he went on the Graham Norton show with his dummy, and <laughs> yeah. he was there with like Anna Kendrick and Justin Timberlake. And Anna Kendrick is like so disturbed by this dummy, <laughs> and it looks incredible when he picks it up and throws it around. It's so great, uh, and I just love how much he embraces the weirdness of it. It's so good. But yeah, like his performance, especially the scene that I that I think of offhand is whenever he's uh he starts his speech starts clearing up and he starts talking a lot more i can't remember exactly what he's saying but he's sitting on that log yeah and he's starting to make the noises and like at first he's kind of talking out of the side of his mouth like this or whatever and then like he's just like very slowly like becomes a bit more sprightly and he starts talking a bit more clearly and and it's uh, it's the kind of thing where it's so subtle you don't even really notice it until like halfway through him speaking clearly where you're like oh there is a discernible change in him at this point yeah uh i don't know i just i i think it's incredible um and and it's such a difficult role to pull off too because you also have to pull off that childlike innocence while also saying some very, very dirty things. Yeah. And and I can't imagine that is an easy thing to pull off as an actor. Like, he has oh, to boy. deliver these lines with a completely straight face. Like, literally a completely straight face. He cannot emote hardly at all. Yeah, and I, I, and I meant to... Jesus, I, w- I wanted to send this to you yesterday. Or the day before, so you could have pulled this for our episodes. 
when he just said when he says, "I have a lot of questions about the things you just said." Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, that yeah, that was also soundboard from now on. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was also on my list of I need to add that, and then I just didn't get yeah. around to it because it should have been what I kids. said a minute ago when you talked about polyphonics. Yeah. I mean, like it, when uh, Paul Dano's character is like Manny, I think your penis is guiding us home. How do you not <laughs> react to that being said in your vicinity? Like, I, so, I that is wonder, some professionalism that I will never be able to obtain. Well, you know? and I wonder how many takes they ruined by just cracking up. Like I, I know I'm that they're professional. Lot. I'm sure uh-huh. that they were able to get through a lot and you know maintain the professionalism until they called cut. But oh man, some of these scenes like how, this had to be the most you fun not to crack up. <laughs> I love. I, I watched a few different interviews with Daniel Radcliffe where he was just trying. He was just talking about the movie and he was trying to explain it to like Stephen Colbert, and he could barely even talk about the movie without laughing. And he and he kept being like, "I swear to God, this is a good movie." He's like, "I swear, it's like the most heartfelt movie you've ever seen. It just happens to be about farting and boners." And well, and like it's just so great. I. I feel like uh, I feel like someone like Conan O'Brien should be able to accept that because of the fact that he's had Paul Rudd on there way too many times, and uh, a lot of the humor in Swiss Army Man reminds me, at least in style, different levels of execution and different levels of different levels of something, but. Um, a, a lot of the humor in Swiss Army Man reminded me of the kind of humor that you get in things like What Hot American Summer, where they're playing yeah. things completely straight, but it's so bizarre. And like, yeah, they know that they're being bizarre with it, but mm. then they're able to maintain their composure, I think. And things like What Hot American Summer, I feel like they go a little bit more farcical with it. Yeah, yeah. But... I, I I don't know. Like I I could very easily put the two of those as a double feature for tone with some different stylings uh, or for style yeah. with some different tones. But, but yeah, it's, it's I mean it's this movie definitely humor, has the same so. kind of like the the level of visual humor in this movie is pretty astounding in terms of just like the the many like creative ways that they figure out like that Paul Dano's character figures out how to use Manny. Like how he turns him into how he can like cock his arm back and like break wood or how he learns to like turn his mouth into a grappling hook <laughs> or how he uses his farts to light fires and just like, oh, and then the, my favorite, I think, is the fact that he uses him for fresh water. Oh, <laughs> like that, that's like the that's first the thing he realizes. Thing. Huh? And, it's, and it's so vulgar whenever he does that. It's not like a, like a nice little spurt of water coming oh, out. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, like it's the yeah. exorcist style like <laughs> of vomiting, it's, but it's just clean, fresh water. And it's so funny. It is quite um, possibly the most disgusting thing. Like, I, I, I get what was happening. You know, they show the water dripping into his mouth so that you have the setup. And I get that he's being used essentially as a canteen. But the entire time, I was just like... I, this is making me gag a little bit. Just the thought it's of all of that, very gross. just like stomach <laughs> acid, where that water must have been. Just, uh, I also uh, love so that, gross. like the moment whenever, uh, whenever like the the kind of bomb is dropped on Manny, where he finds out that Sarah is not actually like some woman that he knows. That it was just mm-hmm. a picture of a woman on a phone, and he starts crying, and he's like, "Is this what 
what did he what does he say? He's like, is this what sadness feels like? I don't like it. And <laughs> he's like, it's it's really wet and gross. And he's surprised. His tears are literally streaming. Yeah, his face like it is an insane amount of water running out of his eyeballs. And it's so good. Like he is he's a character of just such enormous emotion that it is literally exploding out of his body at all times. And I, I just love how literal they go with it. Like I'm honestly. I don't understand how they managed to pull off some of these shots. And I think the amazing thing about it is most of the shots in this are actually pretty, are done with pretty simple and it's mostly achieved through just like incredibly effective editing. Yeah. This movie has many. I also can't wait for you guys to see everything everywhere once. I cannot wait for you guys. Oh, I can't wait because these guys are such like incredible, like practical DIY filmmakers. They do a Mm -hmm. lot of stuff in camera. Like I was watching some behind the scenes featurettes, and like when Daniel Radcliffe vomits water, it's literally just a hose on the side Mm -hmm. of his mouth that you can't see. Or whenever they're like jumping around, like flying out of the out of the water and stuff, it's like they're just doing that at a pool. (laughs) <laughs> like, like I don't know it's just incredible or like whenever they're doing the uh, the opening scene even whenever Paul Dano is riding on Daniel Radcliffe like a jet ski <laughs> so like great. they just took a boat out onto the water and had him sitting on on like a little boogie board pull, being pulled by a boat like I don't know it's just it's just so much simpler <laughs> than you would ever expect it to be and it looks incredible like it's so seamless and I, I think that I especially love all the different montages in this film and the way that they are so creative and they have so much like kind of subliminal messaging in them where as Paul Dano is explaining things, you get these very quick visual references. Like there's the scene where he's talking about, um, I can't remember exactly what he's talking about, but like he dresses Daniel Radcliffe up as like RoboCop and starts like walking <laughs> around. And um, I don't know. It's There's just so much visual inventiveness and, and so much of it is like the kind of shit that you could do in your backyard. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's really good. Like they, I, on that uh, interview that I listened to, they, the, the Daniels were talking about how like they really wanted to get people like Daniel Radcliffe or Paul Dano, like big actors in it, but they deliberately wrote the movie to be like, well, if we can't get financing for it, we could just, you know, Benson and Moorhead the shit and just go act it out in the woods <laughs> ourselves <laughs> and do it all ourselves. And, and I love that. Like it's a, uh, it's such a it's it feels almost like it has the same kind of visual flair as something like Raimi's Evil Dead, mm-hmm. where it's like it's it's you can see that this is something that a bunch of friends made in the backyard, but it also has so much visual inventiveness and and just such a an acute understanding of where to place the camera and how to put these shots in a specific order and how to evoke emotion with images. I don't know. It's just. It's really incredible stuff. I don't. I don't really know how to be articulate about it. I mean, everything that you just said is uh, exactly how. Like even just like we talked about the like he is trying to explain to Manny what life is like, and he lets Manny go to the movies, <laughs> and it's so simple. It's like he puts a sheet up and he does a a puppet show, like a, a shadow play of Jurassic Park and E. T. and Superman and say anything and all this stuff, and it's like yeah, that's so beautiful like it's such it's like literally harkening back to like the origin of film in a certain way and it's it's so inventive so great and it and also gets at like i think probably my favorite scene in the movie is the bus sequence where he's trying to explain to manny like like a good third of the movie 
It really, yeah. I mean, it takes up a huge chunk of the movie, and it's it's such a great scene, and it's that very typical romantic comedy thing, like where it's it's playing out a scene that you would see in a typical rom- romantic comedy, but in the right. woods with these like DIY bus. It kind of reminds me of a what's that? Dave made a maze. Mm-hmm. I, I was just about to say deal. well not just about to say i was gonna uh, save that towards the end where i was gonna be like you know what if i did a triple feature not a mm. beginning middle and end i've got a different one for that but if i was gonna do a, a triple feature i would do um uh, what order would i do them in i would do dave made a maze uh swiss army man and what hot american summer i just don't know the order that i would watch them in mm-hmm. maybe that order <clears throat> or maybe Swiss Army Man. It doesn't matter. But yeah, uh, mm. Dave made a maze and uh, uh, What Hot American Summer. If the two of those yeah. got together and had a baby, that would be Swiss Army Man. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But like the <clears throat> the scene where he's looking out of the bus and he's just amazed at like the idea of being on a bus, which is the kind of thing that you or I would take for granted and be like, oh, I can't believe I have to be on the bus. And to Manny, it's like, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and the movie does such a good job of evoking that feeling by like, um, by kind of abstracting it in a way where you're seeing it through this very like creative DIY thing where he creates like a literal zoetrope kind of thing, yeah. of pictures that circle around to imitate the, the feeling of like traveling in a bus and Manny's just like I would ride the bus every day like this is so <laughs> wonderful and it's this movie and again the movie is just all about cutting through the bullshit of life and like appreciating every moment that you have but while also recognizing a lot of the shitty stuff in it like I love how every time he talks about like oh yeah I can't wait to go marry Sarah and have to work two jobs to support my children <laughs> but I won't care because we're going camping this weekend or whatever <laughs> It's like every time he talks about his idealized version of what life would be, there's always that little like, oh, you have to work two jobs or, you know, well, and, whatever. And all part of that's that. because like as he's asking the questions about like, what is this? Why are we doing this? What's happening? Um, Hank, in his explanation, is describing the good and the bad. He's saying yeah. things like you get to fall in love and you get to spend time with your kids, <laughs> but you have to go to work and like work two, jo- two jobs to support them. But Manny, who yeah. doesn't know any better, he only knows what is being taught to him. Mm. He's like, oh, I get to have two jobs. That's awesome. It's yeah. again, using my kids as an example. It's like so many mornings uh, as my wife is about to take him to daycare. There are plenty of times like, all right, you know, mom has to go to work and you have to go to daycare. But there have been a few times where, you know, we'll, we'll switch them up. Not always on purpose, but it's like, all right, dude, you got to go to work so that mom can go to school. I mean, wait, no crap. <laughs> You have to go to school, so mom has to go to work. It's like, I want to go to work. It's like, no, you don't, dude. No, you do not. (laughs) But there's that childlike sense of wonder, like, this is a whole other world that I don't understand, and there's something, like, profound about it. And, I, like, just letting your imagination run wild with what the possibilities are is so... I don't know. It's so lovely. And there, there are very few movies that I think that really get at that kind of childlike sense of wonder about the world and, and the way it functions. Hey, uh, Eric, you, you know what other movie um, or you know what other person would find beauty in just sitting on a bus all day? Forrest Gump? No, not Forrest Gump. He, he's waiting for a bus. Uh, I don't know. Ethan who. Hawk. Who? Ethan Hawk. Oh, uh-huh. yeah, of course. Ethan Hawk. Well, he's on a train. Whatever. I guess they're on a bus for part it's of it. It's public transportation. Public he's transport, on public yeah. transport just talking and well, finding the beauty in life. 
That's actually a pretty good good. Th- I'm glad you brought that up because there have been so many times um, where I like I romanticize the idea of public transportation. Like I've been on plenty of buses and I hate riding the bus, but the the thought of getting on like a train and traveling to other countries by train is so. I, I just love the idea of being able to do that. I love the idea of being able to. I love the thought that there are people in the world who can go live in these big cities and never need to have a car of their own that they can just travel by bus or train or I romanticize the shit out of it because when I first went to school to go to college in Boston poor as shit didn't have a lot of money at first to go do anything in the city so me and my friends would literally because you could it where the T or the train was in Boston the T was near Boston University if you were going a certain way you could the T from the Tea Party the Boston Tea Party Yes, you could get on. You could get on the train for free if it was going a certain direction. Mm -hmm. But what you could do is like it was free heading like towards the campus. But what you could do is literally just stay on it until it got to like the end, and then it would start going back the other way. And you would, if you just Uh, were on it, you could stay on it, and then you could get down into like government center hubs where it'd be like okay well now you can take the orange line you can take the red line you were on the green line and you could as long as you never went back above ground you could go all over the city mm-hmm. or for like at that point it was like 75 cents yeah so you could just spend an entire day with you and your friends hanging out on the in the in the tea car having these conversations about shit because it's just what you what you can do and never have to you know, you had a public space where you could be for pretty much nothing, and you were traveling, and you had. It's like every time I watch Goodwill Hunting, I'm going to drop that again. Where, and where Will's on the train, and he's just looking out the window. I'm just like, mm. oh, f- I remember that. That's such a cool feeling. Uh, you forget about the time you were on the tee at like two in the morning, and the dude is taking a shit. You, <laughs> you, you forget, you just make with everyone else's shit, and it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, you forget about all the awful shit that you saw on the tee because you remember <laughs> those really cool moments where it was like nothing else in the world mattered, but you are just moving throughout the city for free. Yeah. Oh, that's actually so the thing. I 100% get that feeling from that in that film, that, you know, the Daniel Radcliffe right. character feeling. That's another thing that the movie does that I was trying to think of earlier when I was talking about how like it talks about the good and the bad. When Paul Dano is talking about the bus and explaining to, to Dan Radcliffe what a bus is, he's like, yeah, it's a thing that poor people use to get around. Is, is the way it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But yeah, in the city, you don't need a car. You can get anywhere. It's like at any time I go back to the Boston, I can't f-ing wait to get back on the T. Uh-huh. So I'll be like, oh, four more stops and we're going to be over there. You know, it's like that would, that would have taken us, you know, 20 minutes to drive, another 15 minutes to park the car. Mm-hmm. It would have cost us 50 bucks to park the parking garage. If we were walking it, it would have taken us so long. But nope, for that, like, dollar fifty or three bucks or whatever it is now, I, I always buy the 24-hour pass when I'm there. You can mm-hmm. go anywhere. I just, know? I love it. It's like I love a superpower it. almost, it's it feels like. Magic. Yeah. Yeah, and every time that I've been up to Chicago, uh, it, it was all with um, with like school trips, 
either like yeah. being a part of it or leading them. And, you know, when you go on a school trip, you get like the week pass of just like, or, you know, it's a week of day passes because you don't want to have to keep paying for that. And when you've got 20 students, you don't want to have to make sure that all of them. Nope. You just buy all of those ahead of time. And when the school is paying for it, then it's just like I get to travel for free everywhere. It, it was like having a magic ticket. It was, Chicago it was has that cool downtown it. that cool downtown loop that you get to do on the trains. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I went to the so, uh, <laughs> went to the end of the track a couple of times and the end of the track is a weird place to be. Well, one yeah. of the ends of the tracks is an airport. <laughs> one of them is the other one not. is not. <laughs> one of them is very much a oh shit, we missed our stop. What's yeah. next? The end of the track. End of the line. <laughs> yep. Boston's the same way. Like one of the ends of the track. It's like, oh, you're at Boston College and it's New England, you know. It looks like it's a scene from fucking Rudy, even though that's Notre Dame. But, you know, it just seems like <laughs> this is the quintessential quintessential college. Then you go like to the end of the orange line and you're like, I'm going to fucking die. <laughs> the, like, <laughs> the, the end of the other track feels like the end of Dirty Harry. Yeah, not in tone, but in like actual <laughs> where where the setting of that takes place. Uh, uh, getting back on track, uh, Badumching with on track. Uh-huh. Uh, that's yeah. what I did there. I made a joke about tracks and trains, and you know, refocusing uh, with Swiss Army Man. One of the things that I appreciate so much about this movie is the trailer did not prepare me for this movie. Like the, the trailer had. <laughs> I don't even oh remember my what God. the trailer. The trailer is only the weird scenes where uh, where Paul Dano is using Daniel Radcliffe as a Swiss Army man. So you have oh, okay, the yeah, scenes. Yeah. It's, of, you know, it, it makes it more like a survival movie, right? Because yeah. like I'm this movie isn't of. really as much of a. Even going into it this time on a rewatch, I seem to remember it being more of a survival movie, and it's not at all. <laughs> Yeah, no, all, all of the scenes in the, the trailer are like uh, when he turns him into a machine gun and when he launches the grappling hook out of him. And yeah, all, I think maybe all those like incredibly inventive visual ideas. Really yeah, kinda. but like that's that's it. I don't remember anything else from the trailer. And, and it's been a few years, but I, I remember the first time that I saw the trailer was like, I need to see this movie. So it stuck with me, but it, it didn't prepare me at all for any of the plot and and it's so good and i love that so much and i think maybe even one of the scenes in the trailer had the like towards the end where daniel radcliffe is on fire uh launching him oh yeah he does mayor. yeah but that that didn't That's prepare me at all for what was going on and and it's just beautiful so i really appreciate that a trailer can get me as fully interested in the movie as uh, as this one did with telling me nothing about that really, what's really actually gonna anything. go on that's such a you, you also remind me of one other thing that I that I wanted to mention too, where I I mentioned that I watched the newest Doctor Strange movie last night, and and then I watched this movie, and I was thinking about how like with Doctor Strange, with any Marvel movie really, those movies are so there's so much plot in those movies, there's so much exposition, there's so much people like explaining all these magical totems and shit, and it's all like stuff that really doesn't matter it's like it's just kind of like a reason you know they're MacGuffins or reasons to get people from one place to another and I was thinking about how much I love the way that this movie is the entire movie is basically Paul Dano explaining stuff to Daniel Radcliffe 
but it is never it never feels like there's any exposition. Well, it's because like, yeah. all of the all of the explanations are just are all about revealing character. Exactly. And it does it it does it in such a subtle way too where it's like at one point he says something to uh to Manny about I can't he he basically says like don't act like that. What it, he, he he says he the said, R word. Yeah, right. And he's like, "Oh man, I'm I sound like my dad." Right. So like there are little things like that where it's like the way that he speaks, he, he the way that he talks to Manny is like it makes sense within the context, but it also is like revealing so much about his backstory and your understanding why he is the way that he is. Um, so yeah, it, it's the kind of movie where even though he's constantly explaining things, he's never explaining plot things. He's just talking about life and revealing so much about himself without actually seeing it outright for the most part yeah i mean the the vast um, majority of the movie is just exposition of two people in the woods talking about life but the stuff that they're talking about is life and and about like different parts of their character but you don't have an explanation of manny why do you exist or how does this work like you have a, yeah a why why of, is this dead body magical why was i stranded on a desert island like none of that stuff is is there at all right and you, you get a little bit of uh of hank doing like the i don't know if you're a blah 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 like he does some of the mm. any of these things could be explaining what's actually going on um and and again that also can uh give some evidence to the fact that maybe he was dead the entire time with you know this mm. just being part of his life flashing before his eyes yeah but it's almostly just a given like the, him being stranded on the island the only setup you get is just like you see some trash floating in the water that's like help me i'm stranded blah right. blah and then it cuts to him on the island about to hang himself so like you get everything that you need from that visual idea so most of the actual plot stuff is communicated visually and then all the dialogue is there to support the characters and that is just that's like filmmaking 101 to me. Like that is how a movie should be done. That is how you get invested in a film, especially a film that is largely just two people sitting around in the woods talking to each other. Right. Well, it's it's like what Dan said towards the beginning of the episode of you only know people at the point in which you enter their lives. And oh god also uh, we gotta talk about the trash sure we'll talk about the trash <laughs> you only know people the at the point at which you enter their lives and so i mean even dan joining uh joining the podcast over the last year we've not talked much <laughs> about dan's life prior to that only in the context it of just didn't exist guys <laughs> yeah, you dan... just washed on the shore of this podcast and we're like yeah. all right this guy's <laughs> useful i'm the swiss army dan <laughs> he's really just a re reanimated corpse uh in here to provide insight into movies but like we only know things about dan as it relates to the conversations that we've had regarding the things that we're talking about and and uh, Swiss Army Man does the same thing, where the stuff that they're talking about and and the backstory that you get for each of them makes sense within the context of what is happening in that moment. You don't get the let me spend you know five minutes explaining my life to you because really I'm explaining it to the audience and mm. you're just you know the stand-in for the audience. You you don't get that and 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 so many movies don't do that you know like they they have that big exposition dump with things that just they don't matter you know maybe you'll have people asking questions like why did they do this or why did they do that but it doesn't matter if you care about the characters and if you care about the journey that they're on you don't you don't need a ton of backstory 
which you know yeah like people are willing to if you if you care about the characters people will accept anything that's going on around them like it's so easy to just like even a movie that is about a dead body that just does all kinds of insane things it's like yeah i accept this because the characters accept it and they're going along with it like that's i don't need anything else i don't need to know i don't need like the movie almost like starts to give you an explanation as to why there's a body there, but it doesn't make it... Like, at the end, whenever the coroner's like, oh, yeah, there are people who jump off the bridge. It's probably one of those guys. We're going to do this. Like, we're going to... Nobody's going to claim him, and then the city will pay for a funeral that no one will show up to, and blah, blah, blah. But even that, it's like... It's like, okay, that might be an explanation for why the body's there, but that's still actually used as a character moment for uh, Hank, because he's like, I'm not going to let you be alone. Like, I cannot let somebody take you off and let you die alone. I can't let you be trash. Like at the beginning of the movie, Manny's like, what do you do with your dead bodies? Oh, we hide them away because we don't want to see them. It's like, oh, so I'm like trash. He's like, no, you're not trash. And, <laughs> and that's, then, and that's a great part of the film, making treasure out of trash. Exactly. Yeah. Like that's such a brilliant, brilliant visual motif throughout this film that like they're constantly finding trash everywhere even though it's probably just Paul Dano's trash that he brought with him, but still yeah. it's like, it's they're totally taking, homeless. It's homeless person trash. It's yeah, totally, it's, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's, it's funny the way that the, throughout the movie, like he never really finds any, anything other than just like random. Like I, I love the, I love whenever he washes up and he sees the cheese puffs bag and he starts <laughs> wearing it around his necklace as like a totem. That's so fun. Like the way that it's taking these mundane things about life and being like, this is, this is part of like, who I am and like this is my goal in life. I want to get to this. I want to get back to be a, being able to enjoy a bag of cheese puffs. <laughs> but yeah, but like he, they take they find all of this trash and then they're literally repurposing it and giving it new life and turning it into something beautiful. Like that is, I mean, th- this movie's about so many things, uh, and it's very on the nose about it in in a lot of ways. But it also is doing these very inventive visual things that is that that's like hammering home the theme without being too on the nose about that aspect of it. It's not like he's like, oh, look at all this trash. We can make something beautiful out of it. It's like, no, they just hang out and build stuff and have fun and play around and dance. Like uh, the the other visual <laughs> motif. It's like I no mean, one is watching. Yeah, exactly. The, the other visual <laughs> motif I like is the, the way that the film recontextualizes the use of rope, where it starts off as like, Paul Dano trying to hang himself and end his life and that it is this thing that's like literally around his neck that's holding him back in some way and then the rope becomes a symbol of freedom for Manny because like Paul Dano uses the rope to allow him to move like a person to like help him dance and have fun and be free and experience what it's like to be human Um, there's so many so many brilliant things that this movie does under the surface underneath the parts that people might think are too on the nose. You you might even say under the skin. Under the skin. Which this is, I feel like, such a great bridge <laughs> from our uh, April's all-out alien attack ending with under the skin. Not only because it was going from A24 to A24, but there's a lot of stuff that uh, that actually you know connects the two. Just a whole lot of trying to understand humanity and what makes us tick. Yep. And directions. Yeah. And even (laughs) (laughs) some of them more mobile than others. (laughs) That both movies are just about Uh, following your boner to know how to get home. (laughs) 
<laughs> also, uh, even down to some of the filmmaking. When you with, wish upon a boner. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and there's our end credits. Uh, uh, even down to how in Under the Skin, you don't have an explanation of things. You just get thrown into where Scarlett Johansson's character starts and you follow her on that journey. And it, despite some of the uh, critiques that I had about that movie, I, I keep thinking about it. I am still thinking about Under the Skin, and it mm-hmm. has just grown on me more and more, even with only having watched it the one time. <clears throat> man, it just keeps growing on me. And I, I, mm-hmm. I love that movie so, so it's, very it's much. Wonderful. And uh, yeah, be, because of things like that, because it's just, all right, you don't need a backstory. You don't need an explanation. Let's put you into this situation and go from there. And why would there be an exposition heavy explaining what's going on if you're just following, you know, a, a weird gray alien in human skin? You wouldn't get that. And I love mm-hmm. it. Uh, and, and yeah, you, you get the same thing, but just with more dead Daniel Radcliffe in, uh, in Swiss Army Man. Mm-hmm. It's a great movie. I also... I also feel like Swiss Army Man could really be read as kind of there, that there is kind of a a queer subtext to this movie that I really appreciate. Like not oh, only in that, like there is the the kind of more explicit aspect, of, well, just obvious aspect of it, where like Paul Dano and Dan Radcliffe like literally are kissing underwater and and be, becoming more accepting of one another. But I feel like even by the end of it, so much of it is is a film that's kind of like about hiding your true self from other people because you're afraid of 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 the judgment like it could be kind of read as like this coming out of the closet narrative where paul dano in the end of the film is like is accepting who he is and other and and you know just i mean just like what we were talking about with the end of the film where some people are celebrating him and and happy for him that he's able to do this other people are still sitting in judgment um but yeah i mean the movie is ultimately about the realization that like he thinks he's in love with this woman but it turns out he's really in love with with the man who has been with him the whole time. I feel like I, I think that well, there's a it goes there's a really from, beautiful arc there. It goes from being in well. love with an ideal to being yeah, exactly. in love with with experiences. You know, it, it goes from yeah. oh, here's everything that I think that this mystery woman on the bus is, and all that she could represent. Yeah, because this is what society is telling me. Right. This is the key to happiness. I need to meet a good girl who's going to take care of me and I'm going to take care of her by working my two jobs. We'll have kids like this is what society tells me I should be, but I'm having so much fun with this dead dude in the, in in the woods. And like, I wish that I could just be with him. I wish that I could just spend the rest of my life out here with him doing what I want to do and actually being able to be my true self rather than this woman who I cannot open up to in any way. Well, and that because actually she doesn't really exist. She, she, the woman that she actually is is not the woman that I have created in my mind. Like this right. is, and this that is not real. This is not my reality. That could give an entirely different read on the end when rather than it being, Oh, I'm so comfortable in this situation, but you know, like Dan, you said towards the beginning, mental health, isn't that easy. You don't just get over things instantly. And then everything's hunky dory and all of your confidence is there rather than it being that it could be, like he's so confident with Manny that then when he's in the presence of uh, of Sarah, the reason that he can't talk is just this isn't natural. This isn't right. This isn't what I want. This is what yeah. I think that I'm supposed to want. 
Mm-hmm. But I don't feel like me. And and yeah, like I was definitely uh, reading some gay subtext into the movie as well, but not in like a just playing it for jokes and not in a yeah it, it didn't feel like exploitation at any point it felt like a a, a it, it felt like a very genuine coming of age coming out fish out of water story that's just bringing together all of these different aspects of discovering who you are and mm-hmm. and, and and being comfortable in your own skin and and, and again yeah. it's such a beautiful movie it really is laden with fart jokes there was this there was this great story on the podcast I listened the postmortem interview with them that was so great. They're talking about how after one of the screenings of the film, there was like a, an older woman who came up to them and was like talking about how her best friend won't fart in front of her and how she feels like she would be much happier if she did. And then the woman literally like burst into tears. And she was like so serious about it, like completely serious. And they're like, Yeah, this is like like they're just like blown away that their movie really does touch people as that deeply and and i love that like i think that's so incredible that this movie like really like by you literally is using farting (laughs) in a way that like touched this woman so deeply that she's just bursting (laughs) and into tears in front of strangers like that is her her version of farting in front of other people like she was being herself and just like I can be open with you, you made me. I feel like I can talk to you. That you are someone I can, I can have this conversation with. That's just so. That's so incredible to me. Like this is the kind of movie that, despite like its surface strangeness, I do feel like has this kind of universal appeal to it. There was a part of me where I was like, man, I really wish I could watch this movie with my children. <laughs> I mean, you could. Uh, I'll have to you settle for where the wild things are, which I think does. Uh, I, I think it does some very similar things, but but yeah, like I do think that this is a movie. Like when my kids are a little bit older, like I think it's really lovely, and I I, I do think that it is uh, an important work of art. Gen- generally, yeah, I, I really do. <laughs> Don't you mean an important work? Oh, fart! Of course, yes. I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> and and we've said this a lot, but. Yes, it's on the nose using the the fart analogy for opening yourself up because society, for whatever fucked up reason, thinks that emotions are not bad, but just kind of like gross, you know, like how many times, how many, how many times has there been like a man crying in public and people are just like, oh, what's wrong with that guy? Or, yeah, you know. Yeah, something's wrong with him or, you know, like if if a frat boy ever started crying, the rest of the fraternity would just give him shit endlessly. And there's so many different things about society where we are not allowed to express our emotions. I mean, you know, when you're at work and someone says, hey, how you doing? If you say anything other than fine, it's yeah. like, I don't care. I don't want to. I, I don't care. <laughs> Because yes. you know, like this was, this was just a pleasantry. It, I right. wasn't trying to get to actually know. <laughs> right. No one actually cares about how you're doing, and and as a society, we've become so repressed where it is unacceptable to show emotion, and and that's just not healthy. And and again, yeah, this movie uses a fart as as a uh, an analogy for that because it's funnier. You know, like if you replace if you replace all the farts in this movie with tears, it's not a funny movie. 
because you're not <laughs> going to laugh at someone saying, why won't you cry in front of me? You're just like, I, yeah, that's an awkward thing for two dudes to be talking about. Like, it's not going to have the same effect. Yeah. <laughs> but when you have dead Daniel Radcliffe saying, is this why you won't fart in front of me? And if you won't fart in front of me, what other things are you hiding from me? Like, it's getting at so many of those other things that, again, yes, it's on the nose, but my goodness it is so effective and yeah society just needs to open up a little bit more and express emotions a little bit more and be more accepting of other people's emotions and be more accepting of other people in the lgbtqia plus community and just uh, i have a different rant that i'm trying to not go into on this podcast uh so no but i mean this is a pure example of you know you never know the type of day someone is having, so be nice. Yeah. <laughs> you know? This guy was... I mean, and I, 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 that's one of the things I loved about the setting of this film, where it just made it seem like this man was literally out to sea on an island, so out of society, yet he is literally in your backyard. Yeah. yeah you know, it's... It, that, And that's how... I mean, especially where I worked with the homeless community for 10 years, it was most of these homeless encampments. I I remember because I did um, a gallery showing of a lot of photography I did while I worked with the homeless. Because what I would do is I would I I took photos of homeless like old homeless encampments once people had moved out of them. And I I posted the photos in the gallery and people were like, where where is this? Where is this? And then I would have another shot, like, on the back of the photo. Like, I would flip the the frame over, and it would be a Google map as to where it was. And it was almost always, this place is a quarter mile away from this spot. Yeah. You know? So it's all, you know, people were just always so stunned because, I mean, we think of Bangor in Maine as a big city. It's really not. But it was the fact that, no, you go 200 yards down this street and take a left down an embankment, there's tents down there. Oh, my God, I never saw them. Well, of course you didn't. They don't want to be found. Well, and society doesn't yeah. want to see them. And the, exactly. Society does not go out of there. But, like, I can, I can walk anywhere now or go anywhere, and I'll be like, oh, there's a footpath over there. Guarantee you go down that footpath. 50 feet there's going to be this the leftovers of a homeless site at the very least like what you find when they took you know Paul Dano back to the camp it's like oh you find shit and you're like you find stuff like photo albums you find you know these these precious little pieces of people's lives that got left behind for some reason or another and you it's it's stunning and that's like you saw in full effect in this movie with the the bus recreation yeah where you're just like oh this is cool and then you're also like oh my god this is horrible yeah and and because then you know that this exists you almost you need to almost feel disgusted about it because you know this happens and i haven't cared or i haven't bothered to pay attention to it you know, I'm just as much a part of the problem because I've allowed this to happen and now I'm being confronted with it. So um, I'm just going to act revolted by this because it's easier on my mental health. Yeah. Instead of just admitting 
you know, <laughs> this is a problem. We should well, fix and, it. And like all, all of this talk of, you know, like mental health and, and homelessness, even though I do think that this entire movie did happen, because again, we covered all that at the beginning with, I think that it's a much more powerful and, and much heavier movie. If the things that happened did actually happen, Sometimes during parts of the movie, I did question how much of it was happening the way that it was happening and how much of it was being, you know, maybe distorted a little bit. And again, I don't, I don't think that you can take that too far because um, again, if Daniel Radcliffe's character wasn't real, I feel like you lose so much of this movie, but at the same time, when when they're chasing him through the woods and and again like they see uh his his little encampment where he's recreated everything that man that's that must have taken time i don't know how long but that must have taken a lot Mm -hmm. of time and how long was he actually gone and no i've i've seen up close like homeless encampments that were just oh what incredibly creative in how they were constructed. Yeah. They've taken things like trash cans or pallets, you know, tarps, folding tables that you might have found, and you know, and they've just constructed these elaborate, you know, living spaces out of them. And yeah, then you're you're kind of hit with that. These people must have been if I just started right now trying to make this by going and finding this stuff, because they're not going to buy it, <laughs> right? They're find, they're finding these things everywhere. It must have taken weeks, yeah. You know, and that's how long they've been here. And holy shit, how did we not notice this before? Yeah. Well, and like even even the very opening scene, <sighs> did the opening scene happen the way that it happened or was the opening scene more of a metaphor for uh hank's state of mind you know was he really stranded on an island completely alone with hardly anything else around him or was that more of a metaphor for his mental state and how he viewed himself in the world and and, i feel that's how he was how he viewed his place in the world yeah and and i think that that's one of the things that I think that that's why during the movie I went back and forth a little bit because some of the stuff was so just like, well, wait a second. That doesn't make any sense. How is he riding Daniel Radcliffe's Sea-Doo in the middle of the ocean, falls off of it, and they both just happen to wash up on the same shore? That, no. That, mm, like, there, there were some of those things that just didn't make sense. Yeah. But again, if nothing happened... I, I don't typically like Eric's point of, well, if it was all in their mind, then nothing really happened and nothing mattered. I don't, I don't really agree with that because even if everything was still in their mind, it still matters to them and we're yeah. watching the story because of them. So it matters. Yeah. yeah and I do believe like he, he came across this Daniel Radcliffe corpse washed up. Yeah. Because yeah, like I said, there's a bridge nearby. People jump into it off of it. He washed up. So I think he did find that on a shore of some kind it just wasn't like we said in an on an actual island in the middle of nowhere yeah i I just think that this movie had right i think this movie had a mixture of visual metaphor for their mental states 
and what was actually mm-hmm. going on. And, yeah. and, and and because they never make it clear, but it's always presented as it could fully be this or it could fully be that. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of what adds some of that depth. Uh, and, and Dan, yeah, it's very subjective. Talking, like the most of the movie. I'm sorry. I'm back now. It's, it's, sorry, it's I had we to, carried on the conversation I, I without to, you. I'm sorry, I had to. I couldn't do it in front of you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I had to. Uh, I had to go Just leave it there. But, so, um, uh, r- really quick before we move it, on, it is very subjective, Wait, though. I feel hold on, like hold on. from Paul Dano's perspective. Hold on, because I feel like that's a more interesting point. But I don't want to stray too far from this, Dan. As you were talking about like all of these homeless encampments, it made me think this movie. It, it's almost turning into a uh, Rosetta Stone of how many other movies it could pair with. This movie could very easily pair with Chud, or <laughs> <laughs> or Suburbia. also starring a Daniel, also starring yes, uh-huh. also starring Daniel Stern, uh, or it could pair with Suburbia, and in in a much more sadder way because suburbia is a very sad movie um but but yeah all all of that like feeling discarded feeling like trash um yeah okay so yes this movie very subjective things i think could really be happening but also be more visual representations of how they're feeling and the fact that they never make it fully clear but also present it as if both are equally true again i feel like that's part of what gives this movie so much of its beauty Mm. because that's life life is never this is exactly what happened it is a mixture of here are some of the things that happened but also here's this person's experience of how they perceived what happened and how they felt about themselves as it was happening and what they thought others were thinking and so that mixture i feel like is very rarely presented visually in a way that works in a movie because it typically is trying mm. to be presenting it too it's trying to present it too literally uh or or you get the um oh shit why am i drawing a blank on the old samurai movie where it's the same story told from three different perspectives um rashomon yes rashomon mm. uh you, you get things like rashomon where it's doing the same thing of each person's perspective is going to shift the way that the story is told but you so so very rarely or, or like you get movies that like have dream sequences or things that make it very clear this is different but you so very rarely get a movie that's presented as pure fact with i think just as much room to be this part is metaphor this part is real this part is emotion mm-hmm. this part is mental state this part is an exaggeration this part is also still real. That you, you don't get that, and we might well, just that's be why the, more into this movie, but I don't think so. Yeah, that's one of the other reasons why I think the ending, why that shift in perspective works, because again, for the first three quarters of the movie, it's all completely from uh, from Hank's perspective. It's all very subjective. Like even literally, the soundtrack for the film <laughs> is his voice like he's he's even and like they even like kind of go back and forth between whether it's diegetic and non-diegetic where a lot of times you hear it in the background but sometimes you're like seeing the characters literally doing the music with their mouth while they're like going through their montage and talking about how (laughs) all they needed was a montage to fall in love or whatever um but then when it does that like hard shift into the perspective of the other people and you're seeing what the surroundings are like you realize that what you were watching 
like what they see isn't one to one with what you were seeing earlier in the film. Like right. the place where the bus is and in, in that is like it looks a lot smaller, you know, like whereas whenever they're going on their adventure, it looked like they were going they were in this big like ravine and they're in caves and stuff. But then when you see it from the other perspective, it is a, it's just, you know, trash in the woods essentially like it's it's a lot smaller so you can you do get the sense that what you're seeing is subjective and then it's why the ending works so well because it gives you that hard shift into the other person's perspective so then whenever you see the ending of the film it's like whose perspective are we actually seeing this from are we seeing it from both of their perspectives like uh hanks and the people around him or is it one or the other like it, it gives you that ambiguity which i think is is a really smart way to play it yeah no, this this movie is absolutely amazing. I absolutely adore it. I want to keep talking about it, but also, I'm tired. I need sleep. <laughs> we should. It's okay, Nathan. I accept you for for being a tired person. It's, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know. Uh, all right. Any <clears throat> final things that uh, that you feel especially uh, convicted about? We need to talk about this, or else we are not doing multi-purpose tool man justice um i i like that paul dano's beard isn't real because he can't grow a beard and neither can i <laughs> that, make, that makes me happy i mean i can but it looks terrible so uh i don't know i just i see a kindred spirit in paul dano maybe i'm the the walmart version of paul dano <laughs> since we both, we both can't grow beards and after watching this, man, I really appreciate his his uh, list of movies that he's done. He has he's, been in some just incredibly interesting stuff. I he's he's the kind of guy that like has the same kind of career as Daniel Radcliffe post Harry Potter, but without ever like being Harry a, Potter. Yeah, without ever being Harry Potter. Like he's never really been in anything big. Like I mean, he was he's, in the Batman, but he's still huh? So he was in the Batman. Well, of course. I mean, yeah, that's his his biggest role, but that was his last. God knows everyone was watching that for Paul Dano. Paul Dano. <laughs> <laughs> he just they has weren't? such an incredible face. We're yeah. like, he he can go from looking like a normal adult human to looking like the weirdest baby face human that you've ever seen. And like I said, I don't know. It's just oh, fascinating. He's so fucking good in Prisoners. So good. I mean, he's in incredible prisoners. on everything, and he's he's yeah. he has just an extraordinary amount of range for a person like that. I mean, like. He's in There Will Be Blood playing two yep. different roles that are so different, and he's just remarkable in that movie. He barely he's also, speaks in Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah, he's he, Little Miss Sunshine. I think Little Miss Sunshine is like kind of his breakout role, right? Yeah, I, he, it was. He's in I, Looper. Oh, he's yep. in Looper. Yeah, he's not in it for a long, a long time, but he's so good in Looper. Like, yeah, it's just he's the kind of actor where when you pull up his filmography, you're like, damn, Paul Dano is incredible, and he's been in so many interesting movies and, well, and i i just pulled up his imdb I get excited every time he shows up in something i just pulled up his imdb and i was scrolling through it and even though there's a lot of movies on there that i recognize and some of the movies i'm like oh right yeah paul dano like Luke. oh he's in love and mercy he's so good in that movie all right go, i've sorry, not go. seen that one that one that's one i really want to see i he's remember in incredible i remember that when i saw looper and paul dano showed up i was like oh sweet paul dano I don't remember the movie that I know Paul Dano from. Like I think trying to think pre Looper, it's like what have I seen him in before? Why did I recognize him when he was on screen in Looper? Why did I care? Why do I think that he's such a good actor? And I can't place it. 
in. Yeah, it's just because he's in so many. Oh, he's also in Where the Wild Things Are. I just realized he's, yeah, one, he's of one of the voices. Things. He's one of the voices. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. I had I truly completely forgot that he was one of the voices of that movie. Well, uh, that yeah, then. So will complete my beginning middle and end because up until just now i did not have an end and you know what let's end here with some beginning middle and ends for swiss army man so my beginning middle and end oh the girl next door i think that's the first movie i saw him in i don't know if i i don't he's one don't of the one of the nerdy dudes in the girl next door beginning middle yeah, and that's end. Definitely- here is the beginning middle and end yes yes go on the <laughs> and it's less of a beginning middle and end and more of a three movies merging together into one uh one of those movies obviously swiss army man the other movie is where the wild things are and Mm -hmm. the other movie is harry potter and the deathly hallows part two so harry dies and his body goes off to sea Mm -hmm. and uh so at the station sure he floats off to sea. Goes off to sea, Dumbledore at the station. See what I did there? Yeah. Yes. And that is why he is able to reanimate in Swiss Army Man is because he's a wizard. And Oh, so you're saying that he's like he in in Deathly I'm saying in Deathly Hollows, like he is actually dead. dead. Okay. And uh and like his body went on he was not a horcrux it was all jam well maybe maybe it was a horcrux and like that split it and so there were then like two bodies and so Uh, the horcrux body is just like the shell now that it no longer has voldemort inside of it and and so like what little remnants of harry that weren't actual harry that then came back to defeat voldemort Mm -hmm. man i'm a nerd uh (laughs) that is what washed up on shore and Paul Dano, through his journey with a reanimated wizard corpse, found the power of love and imagination. And he also, in Swiss Army Man, apparently at some point dies, uh, and then gets reincarnated as a wild thing uh, to live on in the imagination of uh, little kids who aren't happy at home. It to provide guidance on how to find themselves and accept themselves and every time one of one of one of the uh dan radcliffe's died they shit themselves and the shit was mixed with the shit of the other things exactly it's the circle of life it's beautiful yeah oh no uh uh in, in swiss armor man he died when the bear ate him and that's how he became a wild thing is because his spirit then fused with the bear spirit <laughs> the bear. and he became a wild thing go. But it's when the rumpus done. actually began. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> See, I'm more, I'm more of the Paul Dano so- social outcast trilogy, where he eventually, at the end of Little Miss Sunshine, decides he that family is just he can't do, deal with his family anymore. So he he just kind of goes adrift in society for a while, where he goes into Swiss Army Man, and then all of the events of Swiss Army Man happens. But eventually, the cops—they're—they're they're not going to hold him on anything because he—he's technically committed no crime. Uh, they're mm-hmm. going to find out, you know, he didn't murder this person, so they let him go, and he eventually becomes his character from Prisoners. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, I where he's that- just where he's actually maybe kidnapping people to help to try to recreate the the feeling of finding Dan, Daniel Radcliffe Radcliffe that one time. 
I <laughs> thought that you were going to go with, uh, and then he turns into the Riddler, and <laughs> yeah. uh, his being orphaned was more of the emotional orphaning uh, that his that, father gave that him. That after prisoners. He okay. turns into the Riddler. Yes, yes. <laughs> thousand percent. So that's a beginning, that middle, and end epilogue. Give him his complete mistrust of cops. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Eric, what about you? What is your beginning, middle, and end for uh, for Swiss Army Man? And I know that um, we didn't prep this, so uh, so yeah, uh, yeah. No, um, that's it. I'm, I'm going with what you guys went with. I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that's. I, I mean, I, I basically, uh, I kind of, uh, uh, I peaked early and re- and uh, revealed my <laughs> hand a little too soon by throwing out where the wild things are. All right, <clears throat> I'll I'll give you one. And then you stole from I'll, me. I'll give you one. It starts out uh-huh. with Ethan Hawke on a train. Okay, sure. But we're going to say that the train's a bus. <laughs> it's going to be... <laughs> Paul Dano was actually going, like he was uh, looking at uh, Julie Delpy from Before Sunrise and Ethan Hawke swooped in and took her from him. Wait for See, it. I think it's also you could, you could uh, marry Elizabeth Winstead trying to escape from men who can't live in reality. Like from Scott Pilgrim to this, <laughs> yeah, that's a good that, one. That she could also can't work. Get away from the weirdos who keep seeing her as an object to be won. Well, wow, that's wait, so true. That's that's her entire film career. It feels like to a certain point, wait, it's like wait until you hear so the eventually middle, she moves to Antarctica for a research project, and it becomes. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I fully on board with that one. Uh, so, so we're rounding out the beginning, middle, and end with Before Sunrise. That's the beginning. Or Sunset. What, what, what's the first one in that trilogy? Is it Sunrise? Is that the, the first one? Sunrise. Okay. So one, it starts yeah. with Before Sunrise, but it's on a bus rather than a train. And, uh, and, and Ethan Hawke. So in, in this trilogy, Ethan Hawke actually turns into Paul Dano. So Ethan Hawke. Okay. Is uh, he's on the train and he's falling in love, and all of the conversations that are taking place in Before Sunrise are all in his head. They're all the conversations that he wishes he could be having. And then sure. we're staying on a bus, and who gets onto that bus? Keanu Reeves. Keanu fucking Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> As- uh, as they try to stay above Sandra 55 miles an hour <laughs> to not die and once uh, once the bus comes to a stop and they're able to get off of there he realizes just how uh, how much he's been missing out in life and so he then tries to go track down someone anyone but uh, he, he ends up getting lost at sea instead and then he turns into Paul Dano, and that's, that's why he's that's, so in love with Mary Elizabeth instead. Because that was although yeah. I wonder if Speed was one of the movies that he played for Manny because that would make perfect sense. He's like, <laughs> if you think this bus is awesome, let me tell you about this other bus. <laughs> oh oh my god, we should end things, Dan. Where do you want people to find you? You can find me over on Twitter at Twitter at HBO to front row and on HBO to front row.com. And Eric, where can people mm-hmm. find you stalking them on buses? You know what? Maybe I don't want to phrase it that way. Where can they find you wandering out in the woods? Um, well, 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> if I'm wandering out in the woods, uh, I probably will not be on Twitter at the Chimerican, which is T H E C H I M E R I C A N, because my phone's battery would die far sooner than Paul Dano's phone. His phone has the most incredible he kept battery turning life. Turning it off of all time. He it's kept incredible. turning it off. Uh, well, yeah, but I mean, still. He kept turning still. it off. Come on, whatever. Stupid. He kept turning it off. It you didn't even little, break. He's like little, falling off of cliffs and shit. Okay, so he's got an otter case on it. <laughs> an otter box. Yeah. Um. Oh, but uh, but I also could not be found on Instagram at <laughs> the. Uh, no, excuse shit. <laughs> it up again. Um. I uh, I'm on Instagram at Chimerican Reviews. Reviews. Good God, I can't talk. I feel like Dana Radcliffe in the movie. <laughs> um, and I'm on Letterboxd at Eric J A Y. And you can follow me slash the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Video Monster Pod. You can also follow me personally on Letterboxd <laughs> at the Gargyle. That's G A R G Y L E. The uh, the Video Monsters Letterboxd. My intention is once I actually have time. <laughs> That is going to be sort of like a uh, another way that you can find all of our episodes because I'm going to link all of our reviews in the actual reviews of the movies. Um, but that takes time. I got kids and I'm very far behind. <sighs> on that. But eventually that will be caught up. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Just do a search for Video Monsters. And uh, be sure to also join us in Discord. The link for that is posted in Facebook. And uh, we do our episodes live every Tuesday night-ish at 9-ish, depending (laughs) on whether or not our kids actually cooperate at bedtime. Tonight, they did not. And also tonight was not a Tuesday. But in general, Tuesday nights at 9 is when we do our live episodes. And coming up next... We have, what do we have next? We have the, uh, the the Spring Breakers. We have Spring Breakers coming up next. So be sure to... Oh, yeah, I forgot that. about that. Yeah, we have another movie that we're supposed to watch, guys. This is the first time watch for me. I'm excited. <laughs> it is. I... Uh, and I assume I this will be the first movie that does not have boners in it, right? First movie in... Of course, of course not. No, there's no, no way no, there's no, a boner no. in Spring Breakers, right? No boners anywhere near this. <laughs> <laughs> So join us next time for our boner-free talk of Spring Break. (laughs) Our boners are not pointed toward anything in this film. Our boners do not point to Florida. Join us next time as we talk about Spring Breakers. And I feel like there was another thing that I was going to say. Oh, right. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave those five-star reviews. Tell your friends. Go share the love that is Video Monsters. All right. That's been it for this episode of Video Monsters. I'm Nathan. I'm Eric. I'm Dan. And remember, kids, if you don't know Jurassic Park, you don't know shit. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Okay, that's it. I don't. I don't know if we can afford more than that. I'm I'm so excited that you did that because I was 100% going to do it if you didn't. <laughs> There's only one way to end the podcast. Uh, yeah, if, if I hadn't gone with, uh, if you don't know Jurassic Park, I was going to end with only huge scary things take, take poops that big. <laughs>